Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome to the Guilty as Charged podcast presented by the Chargers Podcast Network. As always, my name is Steven and I am the host today and I'm joined by Tyler, my guy. Tyler, what's up, man? How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, Steven. How are you? I'm doing great. Really excited about today's episode. Um, we've been teasing this on our own platforms, obviously, for the last week or so. Uh, we got to interview Chargers General Manager Tom Telesco last week. So, um, you know, lots of great insight from Tom. Very gracious with his time. Uh, actually got to keep him longer than we were expecting to. So um, cannot thank him enough again for joining us today. Um, and, you know, after we interview Tom, we're going to kind of revisit some of our uh, expectations on the Chargers second year players uh, for this upcoming season. So we've obviously had a lot of uh, focus on the draft recently on our show and on this channel as well. Um, so we figured it was it would be uh, a little wise to take some time and maybe talk about some of the second year players who uh, are expected to take on some bigger roles. Uh, obviously, we spent a lot of time throughout last season talking about Zion Johnson and Jamari Sawyer, but you know, there's a lot of other guys in that class that the Chargers are going to be uh, counting on this year. So we'll, we'll we'll have some revisiting of those kind of conversations on today's show as well. Yep, sounds really good, I think. It's definitely a, a mixed bag. And I think there's something to be said about Tom Telesco and Brandon Staley coming out and saying, we didn't take projections this year. And I think that has a lot to do with last year's class. Yeah, yeah, and there's... Uh, that's that's all of the group. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, feelings on social media towards JT Woods. I think some of it's unjustified, obviously, but um, you know, JT is not the only guy that, that the Chargers kind of took a, a chance on, took a swing on, if you will, and that's going to be counted on to play a more pivotal role in year two. So we'll cover all of those, all of that that group today quickly, obviously, because we have the interview with Tom Telesco, which is going to be about 20, 25 minutes for you guys. And uh, before we get to that, of course, have to as always, clarify that we are fans, we are independent contractors, the, the opinions that we share on this podcast are not reflective 100% of the time of the Chargers organization. Um, at the end of the day, we are fans just like you guys who are listening. We just happen to get to uh, talk about the Chargers full time on the Chargers channel. So um, with that being said, let's go ahead and transition to our interview with uh, Tom Telesco. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. Hi guys, we are so happy to be joined today by Mr. Tom Telesco, the Chargers General Manager. Tom, we can't thank you enough for taking the time out to join us today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm doing great. And uh, yeah, let's be fun. No idea what you guys <laughs> want to talk about, but you got me, so I'll answer whatever you guys want to talk about. Cool. There we Sounds go. Good. There we go. We uh, we can't wait to dive into this draft class. Obviously, it's been a few days. We're recording this on Tuesday. Uh, May second. So, how you know now that you've had a chance to kind of reflect a little bit on the draft, how how are you feeling about how the draft class went last week? Pretty good. I mean, you know, I said this the other day. Like, I've never been part of a draft where we came out of it disappointed. It just never happens. Um, you know, you, you you put so much work in, and there's so many people are involved in the draft. It's by far more than just me. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it, it's exciting making those picks and seeing how excited everybody is, and then. We'll get these guys in here, not only the draft picks, but the college free agents on Thursday next week. And, uh, you know, that's the first time we can see them really live in Chargers colors and helmets running around. And then you kind of, you know, you kind of do this to make sure everybody looks like they belong. You know, sometimes with some of the college free agents, make sure everybody looks like they belong and come in and compete for a job because we don't, we don't want guys that are just here just for camp. Like we want to have a chance to make the team. So, um, 
and then kind of slowly get these players transitioned in with the veterans. The veterans are a couple of weeks in front of them right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so the goal with these rookies is try and get them ready for training camp. That's, you know, that's where they have to go in and try and win a job or win a role. The offseason program for our rookies is really trying to get them ready for that. This is not a competition period for them this time of year. It's a lot of learning, trying to figure everything out, and then we'll get going in training camp. Yeah, yeah I love that phrasing. Um, I'm curious to get your thoughts here because, I mean, you've talked a lot about uh, what you liked about Quentin and how he might fit into the offense. How does Kellen being hired maybe change that or help that evaluation process of drafting a first-round receiver? Uh, well, it doesn't change the process, but what uh, what's great with the process is Kellen's a great evaluator and um, knows what he sees, can communicate it really easily um, as far as how a player will fit into the offense. And that's the big thing through the scouting process is using the coach's input on uh, who fits what we're doing, both on offense or defense. If this defense is Derek Ansley, as far as who really fits the scheme. And those were those guys are experts in that, which is really nice. So, um, you know, with the receivers, um, you know, Callen, you know, he's, he's a, he's a, not, he's a, he played in the league. Um, he, he's coached for a little while. He knows good players when he sees them. He knows what fits with what he wants to do. And um, with Quinton and then all these players drafted, but certainly in Quinton's case, you know, we're not just drafting him for this season. We're drafting him for, for now until, you know, 2027, essentially. And, um, you know, kind of go from there. So with Quinton Johnson, I, I think his testing – Reminds me of Joey Bosa for you guys, where some of the numbers really didn't reflect, I think, the athleticism on the field. So was that an advantage for you guys to get him at 21? And do you use any GPS tracking data or other data to evaluate his true game speed? Yeah, um, love the GPS tracking data. And and we've used it uh, probably more each year now that we know more about it and have more comparisons with it. Um, And I think, you know, everybody moving forward will probably go that route. you know, but there's no end-all, be-all test that we do. So we try and just put everything together and try and make a, a determination. Um, his GPS numbers were very high. Um, his 40 time was, what, 4.50. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you thought it would be a little bit faster than that. Um, you know, his jumps, his broad, his broad jump vertical, really explosive, big-time numbers there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the numbers are a big deal to us. Uh, we look at them a lot. It's a big part of the process. And, you know, but with him, you also have to add in that he's, you know, 6'3", 210 pounds. You right. know, he's not, you know, 175 pounds. So that all, that's all part of the equation, too. But, um, yeah, I, I really like the, the GPS tracking that we can pull off the game tape. And because um, for a long time, you know, we would get the 40 times on a player. And then all of us as a scout would say, hey, look, you know, my eye tells me that his <laughs> post speed is whatever, 455, yeah, yeah. 458, 460, 465. And, um you know, we would go with that a lot because that is part of scouting. But now it's kind of really nice to be able to pull this GPS tracking off um, off the tape. And now now the players are not – they don't actually have a chip in their pads at the college level for mm-hmm. the game that our players have on game day. And maybe the colleges will go to that, that at some point. I hope they do. Uh, but we do have software now that's available that we can kind of pull it off the game tape. So it's just uh, – you know, we have so much information we use. We have too much information. <laughs> but that's one of them that, that I really like um, in all the positions. Yeah, good deal. Yeah, I know we as casual fans, right, like there's a lot of information available to us now, you know, like pro football focus and things like that. But um, our friend Arjun actually works for PFF. And even like the information that they have uh, is just like at another level than what's out there to public knowledge. Yeah, no, and, and we, we've got um, each year there's been more and more and more. And it's just uh, 
like historically, like going back, you know, 20 years ago, you know, before PFF started, um, when I was with the Colts, you know, we used to try and do a lot of that on our own as far as just tracking each player on, on every play. Mm. The thing with us, though, when you do it manually, you know, we could do like three or four games. We couldn't do every college game. We just didn't have the manpower to do that. So uh, to now to have that information on every pro player, every college player, and then a lot more now than we had 20 years ago, it's just great information to have. And then what it allows us to do is really cross-check ourselves. Like, mm. you know, if you have a scout say that um, – you know, this tight end uh, has great hands and we look at his catch rate and it's 88%. Okay. Well, let's talk about this. So that, that's, you know, that, that's cut or dry. That that's black or white. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of other things as far as like pass rush and, and uh, pass protection and the win rates and where they come and how they happen. And then kind of compare that with their eyes. A lot of times if it verifies what our eyes see, perfect. We can move on. If it doesn't verify what our eyes see, we have a lot of questions to talk about. And that's why we have meetings. To kind of pull in the objective data, the subjective one, kind of pull it all together and try and make a decision um, on these players. Yeah, so <laughs> switching from speedy receivers to offensive line play, the hard-hitting question. You've taken <laughs> three straight projected tackle-to-guard converts the last three drafts with, with Hymas, with Salyer, now with McFadden. So what do you evaluate when it comes to those players, especially if they don't have any college reps at guard like how do you look at a tackle and know they're better suited for guard well i don't know if we know they're better suited for guard i mean some of it's just based on dimensions um but the whole tackle to guard thing it's 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 almost it's almost more like like we need that versatility if, if you're a tackle mm -hmm. only or a center only or a guard only for that matter and if you're not starting it is really hard to get dressed on game day because um, typically, you know, we're going to address eight offensive linemen. They have to be able to play multiple spots. So, you know, when we take a college tackle um, and project him to guard, a lot of times it's because, hey, look, we know he can play tackle. We think he can play guard when he gets here, and then we've got a two-way go. He can play guard and tackle. So that's very – it just really helps our roster mm -hmm. a lot. You know, mm -hmm. same with the guard that can play guard and center. Um, we really need those dual positions. So um, – but there's certainly things you can watch as a player to see, you know – can this tackle, can he go inside and play guard? Does he have the anchor ability in size? Does he have the leverage? Um, things move a lot faster the closer you are to the football. So, you know, does he have quick twitch movement? Does he have quick mm. twitch up here in his mind to see things? Um, you have a little bit extra time at tackle. You also can get, get some help at tackle. You don't get a lot of help at guard either, you know, maybe from the center going left or right. But, um, but that's, you know, that's part of the process when we're scouting these players is projecting them here. Mm. And uh, if you're not going to come in as a walk-in starter, you really need to be able to play more than one spot. And, you know, in Jordan McFadden's um, situation, like, like we think he could play four spots and, you know, he may be able to play some center down the road. We'll, we'll see. That would be great too. Yeah, I'm curious, uh, just in general, there's a lot of like positionless football conversations nowadays, more so than maybe in years past. And, and whether that's a guard tackle or maybe somebody like Thule, like, you know, you turn on the Stanford game and Thule's lining up as a, as a nose guard half the time. Um, a lot of people viewed him as defensive line only. Some people viewed him as edge only. How do you guys go about discerning, you know, like in the, the tweener conversation? Is he a tweener? Is he an edge? Is he like just that conversation in general is so interesting to me because so many people viewed Thule differently. How do you guys go about figuring out the difference between let's find him a home or let's let's be versatile and move him around? Yeah, that that's a great question because certainly when you talk about Thule, yeah, if you say glass half empty, like he's a tweener, doesn't fit anywhere. 
Right. You say glass half full? Like, no, he fits a lot of places. He's a hybrid player. He can play outside. He can play inside. So, I mean, there's a lot of great things about Brandon Staley, but one of the things I love is for for defensive line and then defensive backs. Like, they really mm. can be positionless, especially mm. in the secondary. Um, it really makes scouting really easy because we can find players that, you know, maybe they're a little bit of a corner, a little bit of a safety. Well, you know what? For us, he's going to be a defensive back. He can do a little mm-hmm. bit of both. He can play some nickel, play some outside, play some safety. And then when you talk about Thule, you know, the fact that we can, he can play on the edge. He's shown that in college. They moved him inside on some pass rush downs. You can see him do that. Um, they can stand him up and move him around. I think that's a big asset for a player to be versatile enough to, have to move him around. I mean, it gives the defensive coordinator more options. Right, and just lining up in you know the straight, uh, straight front all the time. You don't know where guys are going to be. So, for us, it, it's an asset. It's a positive, and the fact that Tuli can do a lot, um, really, I think, can help our defense. But those are discussions we have the scouts, the coaches, and um, like I said, our coaching staff is really flexible, which is a big part of this process. So whether it is Tuli or maybe someone like Will McDonald, where I mean, even Robert Sala got on the phone and said, "Hey, we're going to get you out of what you did in college and move you to a wide nine, like." When you're grading players that can do so many things, is the grade that you give them kind of a, a formulation of everything that they're able to do, or just do you just focus and grade the plays at the quote-unquote position that you sort of envision them in the NFL? Now, we have to project them to what they'll do here. So, um, And, like, I've never had any problems with how any college coach uses their players because those college coaches, first of all, they're smart. They know they have to win. They're going to put that player, you know, in the best position to help them win. They're not mm-hmm. so much worried about – um, how that player is going to fit the, the L.A. Chargers when he gets there. Um, it, it's <laughs> no, different than, no different than Justin Herbert at Oregon. They right. used Justin in a way that was really beneficial to them. They won a lot of games. You know, They won the Pac-12 championship, won the Rose Bowl, scored a lot of points. Um, we used Justin in a different way here. We had to project moving forward how he'll fit in our offense. And um, it's the same thing with Will McDonald with how he was used at Iowa State. And there's a lot of other players that are like that that – maybe use one way in college, but, you know, for us, how they're going to fit, we may have to use them a different way. So that's why when we talk about the subjective end of scouting, that's why we still need the eyes on these players. We can't just go based on numbers and based on analytics. We have to somehow blend that all together, the eyes of our scouts, how the numbers line up. And then, you know, that doesn't even talk about all the, uh, you know, the character, the makeup, the intangibles, the medical, the psychological, you know, all that stuff that has to be part of the formula too that, I know people don't see on the outside, but that stuff's really important mm-hmm. uh, to every team that kind of goes through this to try and you know mitigate your risk on these players. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's uh, super important. So um, there were a lot of people, us included, Tom, that thought that maybe the Chargers would be taking a tight end in the first couple rounds in this draft, uh, including Brandon Bean saying that he didn't think that you guys would pass on Dalton Kincaid. How much of a priority was tight end for you guys heading into the draft? And, and maybe talk about as well how you feel about this group now that uh, there was not a tight end selection yeah yeah you know what i thought buffalo was going to trade up for a wide receiver so mm. the way it goes sometimes i didn't think <laughs> with, with with dawson knox i didn't know they would take a tight end so all you know all the work that we do it's just like you guys you guys are trying to predict what's going to happen i'm trying to do the same thing and um you know i'm wrong at least half the time like i was wrong on buffalo <laughs> i thought they were gonna try and come up for a receiver um mm. yeah i mean we, we went in the draft kind of with a pretty broad-based look at it as far as what we can add to our football team, both short-term, long-term. Um, it was a pretty good tight end class. Um, you know, nothing really presented it to us, but it's not like we went in the draft saying we have to draft a tight end. Um, mm. we, we like the players that we have. Um, you know, we think it's a pretty good group. Is there a, 
Uh, is there a Kellen Winslow in that group? You know, I don't probably not not quite. Um, sure. But we think we have a pretty good cross section of guys. I mean, Gerald Everett did a heck of a job for us last year um, catching the ball. His run after catch skills are excellent. Mm-hmm. He's a better blocker than people give him credit for. As is Donald Parham. Donald Parham is a better blocker than people give him yeah. credit for. And and Trey McKitty is really strong at the line of scrimmage. So we think we have some people there now. Could we have added somebody? Sure, you know, but it just didn't present itself. And you know. That's just kind of the way it went. It was a pretty good tight end class. Mm-hmm. Um, we liked a lot of them. We didn't maybe necessarily, you know, like all of them, but you know, that's you know, beauty's in the eye of the, of the beholder sometimes. But, uh, um, but you know, we're going to go with what we have for right now. Something could change between now and camp. I wouldn't anticipate it, but you know, you never really know. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be ready to go. Yeah, sounds great. Going back to the draft and, and how you guys evaluate. How do you evaluate players who are physically talented or for whatever reason you guys love them, but they never played against that power five competition? Because first of all, congratulations on Trey Pipkins. um, But that's certainly an example, right? Like what is the discussion when you're trying to evaluate someone like Nick Melsot from Delta State? Interesting name. Yeah. So this, this really wouldn't work for him, but the great thing is, is a lot of these smaller school players are being invited to the senior bowl or even the East West Shrine game. So you could see a player, from a lower level division play against other division one prospects. So that always makes the evaluation a lot easier because you can go watch mm. them for practice for three or four days, maybe play in the game and get a better feel for that level of competition. Um, but if you don't have that, and we used to say this about uh, Pierre Garçon when we drafted him from Mount Union when I was mm-hmm. with the Colts in the sixth round, I want to say, um, if you play at a lower level, you really you need to dominate that level of competition to have a chance at this level. So in, in Pierre's case, um, at the Division Three level, where Pierre was, you know, six one and a half, six two, two hundred ten pounds, and ran four four, and was a really good player. Like he was running by. I mean, the corners of that level were like me. I mean, literally, they were me. <laughs> I was a receiver, but you know, but he showed at that level like they could not cover him. Mm-hmm. Now his production wasn't great because he only played the first half of most games. Mount Union was up by sixty points by halftime. So they would pull people. So yeah. when you when you watch. Delta State, you know, we want to see this big guy really kind of handle people. And he's got really, really good quickness, initial quickness for that size at that level um, that really stands out. And that's what uh, our scout in that area, Donovan, did a great job kind of trying to see, hey, look, this is a bigger, it's a big player. I know not a Division One level, but uh, he mm-hmm. has some athletic ability, has some feet, has some toughness. And you know, we'll get him in here and see if he can compete for a job. But uh yeah, that's what you do. The best case scenario is one of these kids ends up at a bigger all-star game. You just watch him there. That makes it really easy. If not, um, you got to really kind of hope that kid de- uh, at least dominates at his level. Trey was a senior bowl guy, wasn't he? Trey was, I think, a senior bowl player. At the very least, he was the East-West game. I can't remember. I should remember, but I can't remember. Um, the, the senior bowl has been doing a really good job with with yeah. Nagy as far as you know, inviting mm-hmm. a lot of these smaller school prospects that are legit guys, and we can actually see them against other Division One players. It's been great. Yeah, absolutely. Last one here for me, Tom. Uh, you guys have really prioritized linebackers, whether it's inadvertently or not. Linebackers who used to be safeties. Uh, obviously, Dayon Henley is, is the latest here. How does, how does that experience for these guys help them transition to the NFL? And maybe what, what's kind of your vision for Dayon as a rookie? I mean, it's a, it's a passing league. The, the game is much more spread out than it was when I first came in into the league. Um, it's certainly much more spread out at the college level. So, you know, these safeties that are that transition to linebacker, you know, they have range, they have speed, 
that have the, the instincts and feel of playing in the passing game a lot. What has to come along for them is getting used to playing inside the box hmm. um, at this level. Um, but with uh, with Deion Henley, I mean, he's super athletic, really a quick twitch player. And uh, for a player that hasn't played linebacker that much, he's really instinctive, which is just rare to see. Mm-hmm. Usually it takes these guys some time. Um, but he's really good in the passing game, has a feel for it, and he's a hitter. Like, he, can, he really hits. Um, and the one thing that stood out to us with him, too, is a, a lot of college starters, especially, you know, NFL prospects, they don't typically like to play on a lot of special teams in college. And he was begging to play on special teams and played a lot of snaps on special teams and was highly productive doing it. Because, you know, initially that's going to work out. His, that's his role here is going to have to be special teams first and then trying to earn a role on defense after that. But uh, that really drew us to him. Um, his athletic ability, his quick twitch, his ability to hit. He's a violent hitter. Um, and his special teams ability. All right, last one for me. I'll make it easy. What is the go-to mock draft simulator? <laughs> I'll tell you, I, I like the PFF a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like that you can make so many changes um, to how you want it to spit out. And, um, and I also like that it's really fast. So I can do a lot at one time. Um, you know, we'll do some different mock drafts in-house mm-hmm. and we'll give uh, either a coach or a scout a specific team and you're drafting for that team. And I like that too, because you got one person acting as GM for that team, but that process takes forever. It takes a long time. Um, yeah. I can come in on a, on a Sunday morning and start running these uh, mock draft simulators and just run them over and over and over again and try and get a feel for what could happen. And then the big thing is, right, if this happens, what are we going to do? Because we have all these discussions way before the hand. We don't, you know, we're not, we're not discussing mm-hmm. when we're on the clock. Uh, hey, do we want to go receiver or tight end here? That Those have been had already. So um, the, S- the I tried the ESPN one, and that, that broke a couple times on me. It didn't work yeah. as well as I would have liked. I kind of got off that. Um, the PFF one I thought was pretty slick. I thought it ran pretty well, and I liked that it came out with different Mm. different outcomes each time and you could do some slide bars moving around and um you know i used to this is way before your guys's time unfortunately i don't even know how you guys are but i know you're, you're younger than me but you guys <laughs> ever hear, hear of uh, joel bushbaum no 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 <laughs> so, joel worked for pro football weekly this is this is probably before we were on the internet that much and he, he had a book every year but um he had so many contacts in the nfl all across the league and um, he would do a mock draft the night before the draft, but you had to call into a phone line and he had to listen to a recording of his mock draft. Oh my gosh. And, uh, <laughs> wow. He was so good. He was so tied mm-hmm. in and he was also a really good scout. And we used to use that mock draft to try and get a feel for where guys were going to go draft day. And this was the night before the draft. So we've come a long way that I can do God knows how many mock draft simulations to try and get a feel for what could happen. And then, you know, hey, trade up, trade down. This is what we're going to do. And, and uh, it's, it's been really cool. Yeah, I like it a lot. Yeah, I love draft season. I don't know if I would go to a phone line and listen to a recording of a mock draft. <laughs> hey, that's all we had then. We didn't, I mean, I don't even think. That's true. We didn't have, you know, a website to go to. I mean, Mel Kuyper did his mock draft, but that was in his book. You had to buy the book and he had to mail it to you. And <laughs> even though he was on ESPN, but we didn't get as many mock drafts from him. We had to wait for the book to come out. But um yeah, things have come a long way for the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Shout out to Mel, the, the Godfather. Obviously, uh, doing he's some really, great things. He's, he's really good. I, I know he just he is, he, and he's not only is he tied in in the league, but I think he's a really good evaluator. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the difference is, is you know, when he's you know mocking the draft players each team, like he doesn't have to worry about you know the fit and the scheme and right. 
the medical and the character and all, and all that stuff, right. but that's normal. Um, but he's, you know, he's really good at what he does. Like, as you guys know, like, like Daniel Jeremiah, he's really good. He's yeah. sharp. He knows football. He's got contacts in the league. Um, Todd McShay is still pretty good too. I mean, he does a really good job. There's just a lot of people that put a lot of work into it. I mean, we have all that. I mean, we have more information than anybody and we're wrong half the time. So, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, there's hall of fame GMs that are wrong half the time. So yeah. that's, uh, that's just kind of the business that we're in. Hey, you said glass half full though. So you're right half the time as well. Hey, if I'm right half the time with making these picks that I'll take that. It sounds terrible. It means you're wrong <laughs> half the time, but Look, if you can hit like first round hit rates, like 50 to 55 percent. And that's yeah. pretty been consistent since I came in the league. And then it, it goes down from there as you go to each round mm-hmm. from there. So it's always funny, like when we everybody looks at everyone's drafts right now and think, you know, people are filling needs with third, fourth, fifth and sixth round draft picks. But in reality, as we all know, all these guys aren't going to make it, you know, unfortunately. So the the hope is that these guys make it as a role to earn a role first. And if you get lucky, you hit on a starter, but you know, the odds aren't always with you. Yeah. Yeah. Nature of the beast, unfortunately. Well, Tom, uh, we will not keep you for much longer than that. We cannot thank you enough for your time today. This has been incredibly insightful and, uh, can't wait to see what's coming down the pipeline in terms of chargers football. So, uh, thanks again. And, uh, chargers fans, hopefully you enjoyed that insight from the general manager of the chargers. All right. Thanks for having me on guys. Take care. All right, that was our chat with Tom Telesco. Again, thank you uh, to him for joining us. Tyler, what was your uh, biggest takeaway from our interview with Mr. Tom Telesco? He's a very nice guy, and he's a very smart guy, and I really enjoyed talking to him. Uh, It was really, really cool to be able to do that, and it was really cool to see, or at least hear, some of how they look at different players. I mean, you guys just listened to the interview. How do you evaluate tackle-to-guard converts? Do you use GPS tracking? How do you look at positionless players? That sort of thing. It was a lot of fun hearing how they do that. And it was really, truly an honor to be able to get to do this. Yeah, absolutely. I think my favorite part was just him talking about the like positionless trends because I think there are a lot of GMs, a lot of coaches who still feel like you have to fill a very specific role on this team in this position room or we're just not going to be able to like make you fit on our team. And so to hear that the Chargers are, you know, really practicing what they preach when it comes to versatility and flexibility within a position, I think is is great news. I think fans should be excited about that trend. You know, they're not going to pigeonhole a guy like Tui, Tui Pelotu. It was kind of the inspiration of that question. They're not going to pigeonhole him, him into, hey, you're only an edge rusher or, hey, you're only an interior defensive lineman. Like, they're going to use him in a variety of roles, and we've seen that you know, with guys who we're going to talk about today, like Jasir Taylor, you know, playing outside last year, inside, you know, um, they've had some flexibility with with other players, of course. You know, Kenneth Murray has played linebacker and some edge rusher. So they really, like, mean what they say when it comes to, like, valuing versatility within a position group. Yeah, and even though I don't know what designs they initially had for someone like Jamari Sawyer playing tackle, but he was a sixth-round pick. And if you're a sixth-round pick, especially if you're a lineman, I mean, of course, it'd be great if you were just really, really good at one position and you could immediately start there. But that's not the case for late day three picks. You have to be able to play a couple of spots on the line. And Jamari Sawyer, even though they had him as a guard the entire way, and, you know, we talked to him in the offseason last year, you know, about him being guard and why guard is better. And then he played tackle the entire year, basically. And, And that was really necessary for the Chargers, too. So, yeah, really cool conversation about positionless players 
Um, and players who can do a lot of different things. Yep. And uh, speaking of Jamari, he's going to be asked to play another different position uh, <laughs> in, in this season. So yes. uh, great segue there. Obviously, Jamari starting games for the Chargers. Many, many games. Many more games than anyone expected at left tackle. Um, you know, now he's going to be playing right guard after really practicing at left guard in training camp last year. So again, that versatility here. So, um, we'll transition now to this conversation about second year players. And, and again, we'll kind of, you know, jump around here, you know, kind of taking stock, if you will, of a bunch of these players who are going to be counted on for key roles. Um, I kind of wanted to start with Isaiah Spiller, if that's cool with you, Tyler. Um, because I think this is. Um, there's been a lot of talk, obviously, around the Austin Eckler contract situation. Um, you know, and we talked on our last episode on our channel, uh, which go subscribe, by the way, if you aren't already. Um, you know, just kind of the expectation around Austin Eckler still being on this team. You know, if they were going to move him, that would have probably happened already at this point. So mm-hmm. Austin Eckler is going to be on this team. Um, we know that Kellen Moore is, is very excited to work with him, but you know, there's there's snaps available for for either of these running backs, whether that's Joshua Kelly or Isaiah Spiller, uh, to play in this offense. And so I just went back and, and looked at just snap counts for the running backs under Kellen Moore. And obviously some of this is, you know, Tony Pollard ascending, some of it's Ezekiel Elliott kind of descending. Um, but for the most part, there's a lot of snaps to be had for a, a running back behind a starter in Kellen Moore's offense. Um, in 2022, is it was basically a 50-50 split. Ezekiel had uh, 634 snaps and Tony Pollard had 627. Uh, the RB3, though, only logged 84 snaps last season for the Cowboys. Um, in 2021, Ezekiel Elliott had 853 snaps. Uh, Tony Pollard had 398, so pretty close to 400 um Corey Clement the RB3 again not many snaps to be had there 79 for him in 2020 Ezekiel Elliott had 789 snaps and Tony Pollard had 367 uh and Rico Dowdle again uh 13 for him so that's just the last three seasons with the Cowboys uh for comparison's sake last season Austin Eckler had 780 snaps uh Joshua Kelly who was injured a little bit had a 296, uh, which if he had not gotten injured would have been right around a 350 pace. Um, but the bottom line here is Kellen Moore is going to use multiple running backs. It's likely going to be two. I think he ideally would like to have just two. Um, so how does Isaiah Spiller fit into that conversation for you with Joshua Kelly, maybe kind of as an extension from Spiller? Joshua Kelly to start camp last year was their RB2 right away and there was there was no competition there it was Eckler was one Kelly was two and then Roundtree and Spiller kind of battled for four and even Roundtree got ahead of Spiller in some regards for RB2 and of course it ended up being you know a whole different thing with Sony Michelle I think this is the year that we I mean I, I guess it's the only other next year that we see Isaiah Spiller and I think he's going to take that RB2 job um, I, I don't know what it is that I have to go off of for that but to me, and I don't feel this way for all the players on offense or some of the guys that are on defense, but I feel like with Isaiah Spiller, it just felt like, and I hate to do the blame game here, but this felt very Joe Lombardi not playing the guy and for some reason not being able to find ways to get him involved because with someone like JT Woods, who we'll talk about in a bit, I feel like I understood pretty early on and immediately why he wasn't on the field. And then yeah. when he was on the field, you could tell why he wasn't on the field. And, you know, why he didn't get so many snaps. And we'll talk about him in a bit. 
with Spiller, if you look at training camp, you look at the preseason, you look at the snaps that he had. Granted, I understand some. I understand some of the averages and his rushes aren't super high, but I feel like that's more scenario than anything else. Watching him play, I didn't see anything that suggested that he should not be active on offense. Now, if you want to talk about special teams role, I guess I could understand that because they wanted Larry Roundtree to, to be the special teams guy, and Spiller was not that guy, but. I just feel like with Isaiah Spiller and the talent that he has and what he can do as a pass catcher, I think he's going to take RB2 from Joshua Kelly. Maybe that's kind of a hot take, but I really just do believe in him. And I think Kelly I think Kelly will start out as the RB2, don't get me wrong. But I think that throughout the course of the offseason and the preseason, you know, the Chargers are, are moving towards moving and, and on from most of their running back room and changing things. And I think you have to see what you have on Isaiah Spiller you drafted him high. He was their third pick in that draft after taking JT Woods in the third round and Spiller in the fourth. I think there's enough invested in him, and I think he's talented enough. And now he's actually like, you know, 21 and is, is able to drink now after being 20 yeah. for <laughs> a lot of his rookie season, you know? So I think that he's hopefully, and I haven't seen anything, I haven't heard anything, but I feel like he's matured into this now. He's in his second year in the league. I think by the end of the training camp and the end of the preseason, I think he's RB2 over Joshua Kelly. All right, there we go. Uh, you know, I think that's a great conversation starter because, um, you know, some people, some fans are really, really excited about Isaiah Spiller. Others are not so excited about uh, Isaiah Spiller. Um, you know, I thought that Joshua Kelly was was solid for the Chargers last year. Um, and when he went down and they didn't play Isaiah Spiller, that was kind of, it was really frustrating to watch. Cause it's like, we, we know who Sony Michelle is like no shade. I don't want to like throw shade at him. You know, uh, he's a two time Super Bowl champ and, and a, a very key player on those two Super Bowls. But, um, like we knew who he was at that point. Like it, it didn't take, you know, a ton of, uh, touches early on in the season for, for us to, to see that he just didn't have it anymore. And so once you get late into the season, Joshua Kelly gets injured, like, those were very valuable snaps for Isaiah Spiller. And, and the, for whatever reason, you know, Joe Lombardi and his staff just did not uh, believe in giving him that opportunity. And then same kind of thing in, in the week 18 game, like that should have been a game where Isaiah Spiller is getting, you know, 10, 12 touches and, and he just didn't. So I, I was not super thrilled with the idea of adding somebody like Isaiah Spiller in the draft because I felt like him and Joshua Kelly were very similar but then you get into training camp and like the thing that I was most excited about was his ability as a pass catcher, because that mm -hmm. was something that was very different than Joshua Kelly. Joshua Kelly has worked very hard in that and he's become a much better pass protector. But Isaiah Spiller like was running isolation routes like with relatively relative ease in training camp and had some one handed catches and, you know, was was routing some linebackers up in training camp. And that was exciting. And I think that's a role that um, hopefully the Chargers are, are leaning into. So I think this is going to be a very curious thing for Kellen Moore because, like, I, I just kind of laid out, right? Like, he's very traditionally, like, RB1, RB2, and that's it. Mm -hmm. But this year it, with the Chargers case, like, I think you have three guys who are, are capable players. And obviously we know it. And Joshua Kelly is a really good special teams player and has, has developed into a good special teams role. So... Um, I don't know if I necessarily agree with Spiller as finishing the season as RB2, but I think we will see him be more involved this season. And, and you know, he has to put in the work. Obviously, he has to earn that right. But, um, you know, they, like you said, they, they kind of don't have a choice. Like, you need to see what you have in him. And then you have Austin Eckler and Joshua Kelly, who are free agents at the end of, at the, end of the season. 
Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. I think more optimistic than most about Spiller as someone sure. who didn't like him during the draft process as is. But then everyone goes, "Hey, go back and watch the previous season in college where he played at a different weight. Things were just a bit different that year, yeah. and he looked like a different back." So if he's working back towards what that looked like, I think we're in for something. And I know you said, um, you know, Spiller RB two by the end of the season. I think it's to start the season. Oh wow! Okay. All right, some clarity from, uh, from Tyler. <laughs> I will say that Kelly has a special teams RB3 role. I think that's a good, that's a good spot for him. I think he can be sure. an RB2 in a pinch, but I think there is some inconsistencies with Joshua Kelly and, and his decision-making in particular on the field. Um, I, I think there's his, his vision does leave kind of a, a little left to be desired, but you know, as somebody who can be that RB3 pass protector special teams guy, I think that's a great fit for him. So, Mm-hmm. Uh, I would love to see Isaiah Spiller become that dude and become that RB2. I think that would be a, a great outcome this year. So I'm kind of in between you and what the consensus is on Isaiah Spiller, I guess. You know, I, I do expect him to get more touches and play well, mm-hmm. um, but we'll see there. All right, uh, let's shift gears here a little bit and talk about Mr. JT Woods, who you mentioned earlier. Um, again, a role that is going to be very valuable for the Chargers is that third safety um, you know, obviously there was a little bit where Alohi Gilman was kind of starting at the end of last season. Um, but he played 548 snaps on the season last year, which, uh, was like 14th most on the defense. Um, in 2021, Alohi Gilman was, was hurt a little bit, but he played 355 snaps and Trey Marshall played 197. Again, there were some games where Trey Marshall was, was starting there, but the safety three for the chargers is going to play. And right now, that's slated to be JT Woods. And um, again, there was a lot to be made about his fit with Derwin James and Nasir Adderley, maybe potentially be a, being a, a pretty natural replacement for Nasir Adderley because he has that range. He has that deep safety ability, obviously leading the country in interceptions in 2021 um, as a college prospect at the University of Baylor. So um where are you at with jt woods we've kind of talked about maybe adding a safety veteran guy like john johnson but if jt is given that opportunity to start how comfortable are or not start i should say start the season as a safety three how comfortable are you with that okay that i don't mind as much i would have said more pessimistic projections but if you're talking to me about starting the season as a safety three then i do feel a bit better at that and i'm assuming here Safety three is sort of as Alohi Gilman's backup, because I think right now Raheem Lane is sort of Derwin James' backup. Again, we talked about this. I don't feel great about that, but okay, let's talk about JT Woods' safety three. I'm okay with that. I'm cautiously optimistic about the safety three role. In terms of his chances ever starting over Alohi Gilman, I feel awful about those chances. But in terms of a safety three role, I can get that. And I think you look at the game against the Chiefs last year, like the only game where he really played any meaningful snaps. And I thought in terms of being a deep safety and defending the post against the past, I think he was very strong in that role. Granted, I think it was 14 coverage snaps. So I'm hinging all of this off of of barely any snaps last year. So in terms of that role as a safety three, you're bringing someone down or whatever you're doing with Alohi Gilman or Derwin James, whatever you're doing with that group, I feel okay with him in that particular role. But that, I think, is as far as I'm willing to say that he's going to play, barring injury, this year for the Chargers. I feel much more optimistic about Spiller, where someone like JT Woods, I'm very concerned about his future 
And that doesn't yeah. mean that he's not talented, but I almost think you're you're hoping at this point for like a Trey Pipkin sort of projection. And will a safety like JT Woods get that long? I don't know. But, I, you know, I, I think it's going to be something we look at in 2024, 2025 for JT Woods rather than this season. I mean, they like JT Woods played the fewest number of snaps of any Telesco third rounder ever, except for Max Turk, who had a torn ACL. So zero. Otherwise, the next lowest was Trey McKitty with 237, Craig Mager with 231 snaps. JT yeah. Woods played 30. Like, that's really bad for a player in the third round who was their second pick in the draft. You compare that to the other Telesco third rounders. I mean, not everyone's Keenan Allen played 950 snaps in their rookie year, but JT sure. Woods with 30. And, like, you know, Craig Mager played 100 or so special team snaps. JT Woods played 73, which was behind Raheem Lane. Like, it's not even just the trust in the defensive coaching staff. It's the yeah. trust in, in the special teams group, too. And I guess you could say that's sort of the same thing with Isaiah Spiller. But I just feel slightly better about Spiller with this offense. And I almost feel like that was more coordinator and coaching related. Sure. This one, I really just feel like JT Woods is, to them, the projection that they wanted to avoid this year with their draft. Like, a lot of... You know, singles, a lot of doubles with the Chargers draft this year. With JT Woods, they swung. And listen, this could pay off. They could connect at some point. Absolutely. But I think they're looking at where they are as a team and knowing this is kind of this is kind of the year. You got to get things done, or we're all gone. And so I don't think they're going to look at JT Woods and, and give him safety two at all this season, barring an injury. And to yeah. be honest, I think he's probably safety four. And if I'm really honest, I'm even worried about him being active this season. If they bring on John Johnson, I think Raheem Lane is active because Ryan Ficken loves him. And Ryan and Raheem Lane rewarded Ryan Ficken with that trust. I think JT Woods, there's a lot of different things that could happen. But I think the max is safety three. And I think we could also look at him being inactive. And I'm not going to say cut yet, but to let's go third rounders have been cut for less. Yeah, that's very true. Um, you know, the range of outcomes for JT is, is, is pretty drastic, you know, this upcoming season. And, um, you know, this is a big off season for him. This is his first true off season, like being able to like really focus in on football and like only football and, and, and not like draft training, not track stuff. Cause he was a track athlete at Baylor. Um, same thing in high school. So this is a big time off season for him and he's got to be able to show the coaching staff that he's taken some strides and, I think that it's possible that we see some flashes for sure. But I think part of the reason why the coaching staff has really preferred Alohi Gilman in that spot and preferred Alohi Gilman over Nasir Adderley at the end of the season is because Alohi just doesn't make mistakes. Like, like that's, that's really what you need as a free safety in this kind of defense is you need to be a reliable tackler. You need to be a reliable, you know, match coverage player. You need to just like be, play really sound, uh, you know, smart football. And Alohi also made a lot of plays. Like he, he was always around the football. It seemed like last year when he gave him the opportunity, whether it was interceptions or fumbles or forced fumbles, fumbles, recoveries, like he was around the football, but also he was just not making a lot of mistakes. And I think you feel good about him as a safety three. I think he can be a starter in a pinch. So I, I would like to see them kind of upgrade that room because I just think there's, a lot of uncertainty with JT Woods. We have barely seen Raheem Lane play like meaningful football either. 
Uh, well, obviously, we know he can play special teams. You know, there was that great moment, I want to say, against the Dolphins where mm-hmm. he, like, lit up somebody <laughs> in, yes. when he was on the punt return team mm-hmm. um, at the end of the season. So I think they feel comfortable with him on special teams. So this this is a very important offseason for JT Woods. And I have a hard time thinking that they're just going to hand him snaps. Like, he's going to have to really yeah. earn this. Like, I think of any of these second-year players, he's the one who has the longest chance of, like, playing key snaps because we just, like, we know how important it is to play mistake-free football as a mm-hmm. free safety. And if he can't do that, that's going to be a, a tough ask for him in this defense. Yeah, I mean, that's what they tried to get away from with Nasir Adderley last year. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think Alohi Gilman at this point has deserved the right to be out there as safety two, whether that's, you know, a high end safety two play. I don't know. Like, I don't know what his ceiling is, but he's progressed every year. And so I think Alohi Gilman, I know this is not the Alohi Gilman portion of the show, but I, I think he's earned the right to be out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And maybe that, maybe their faith in him kind of lends themselves maybe towards like a Ronnie Harrison safety ad, as opposed to a John Johnson or somebody else that mm-hmm. they're connected to. That's, maybe more of a, a lower tier, you know, backup starter kind of player. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see there. Um, all right. We'll, uh, we'll touch on one more here and that's going to be uh Ja Taylor. Cause we're running out of time a little bit already, but um, Ja Taylor, also another kind of winner of the draft, if you will, because the chargers did not add a potential starting slot corner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was some buzz that the chargers were interested in the cornerback market in the draft leading up to it. Ultimately, did not come to fruition. They have not re-signed Bryce Callahan as of today on May 8th. So we'll see what happens there. But as of now, like Jossier Taylor is expected to start in the slot. Um, I'll start with this one. I'm excited about Jossier Taylor in year two, man. I think that he showed a lot of promise, particularly as a run defender. Um, and also like that Miami game where he was working against uh, Jalen Waddle, I think really showed what kind of coverage player he can be. Um, in the slot, I think on the outside, I'm a little bit more dicey about just like his ability in space against players like Jerry Judy kind of had, gave him a tough, tough go, but in a scheme that's really going to value his physicality, I think that's, that's a good thing for him because he can, you know, get up in guys faces. He can match up with tight ends. He can blitz, he can tackle, so I know everybody wants Bryce Callahan back, but I'm I'm cool with Josh Taylor as a starting slot corner, man. I really am. I think he's going to be able to come in in year two, really show some great signs of growth. I don't think he should be handed the starting spot, obviously, but I'm as of today, I'm cool with Josh Taylor starting from day one in, in, in this defense. And he probably is. I don't know who else other than Kimon Hall is out there to challenge him for the slot. Right. Like, yes, it could be Asante Samuel Jr., but JC's not back yet, so... Yeah, I think John Taylor is one of the biggest winners of the entire offseason because, and really last year too, gone from a sixth-round pick who was projected to play special teams. Like, we knew he'd be good at special teams based on what he could do on film, like solid tackler, you know, athlete, not like a huge guy, but certainly a a bigger body guy. So everything that he did at Wake Forest, he felt, okay, like, okay, good special teamer here, fine. That's kind of the max here. Then you watch him in training camp, and you're thinking, okay, like – you know, we don't get to see a whole lot of it during the season, but I was there for most of the training camp days and he was consistently and Bryce Callahan as well. One of the better players out there, just so smart, so fluid. I was honestly stunned. Like the, the them finding jaw Taylor in the sixth round, kind of like Jamari Sawyer too, was a revelation, honestly, with how I feel about what they can do in the sixth round. And part of that 
is probably Ryan Ficken, right, with the special teams work and be able to bring him up to sure. speed and all that. But just being able to identify a defensive back like that and get him working in the slot. He looked so good. Like you said, the Miami game looked fantastic there. I'm in the middle because I would understand why they bring back bring back Bryce Callahan because he's a good slot corner and you know about him. I'm not saying he's Eric Kendricks by any means, but like, you know, they know about Eric Kendricks. Sure. They've seen the consistencies. So they brought in Eric Kendricks. So I could see why they do it with Bryce Callahan too. But I mean, Jaw Taylor, man, I haven't seen anything from him in terms of working the slot that I'm worried about. We haven't seen a lot of film but I really do feel confident about him and being able to do that. And if, if that's the jump he could make from a sixth round pick to what he did last year, I can't wait to see what he does knowing that he has this role, I think so far and what he can do in the slot moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. You know, getting back to training camp, it felt like every other day he was like making, you know, a force yeah. fumble an interception, a tackle for loss. Like I'm really excited about where Ja Taylor can go. Um, and, and we'll see what happens. You know, we're going to get closer here towards mandatory mini camp and OTAs and, and training camp is right around the corner. So obviously we didn't get to touch much on Zion Johnson, Jamari Sawyer, Dean Leonard, Xander Horvath today. Um, we'll, we'll spend some other time uh, on another episode, perhaps, uh, breaking down those guys, obviously Zion and Jamari, we know, we know what we have there, you know, they're, they're starting caliber offensive linemen and that should be exciting too. So, uh, Tyler, any final thoughts before we head out this afternoon? Uh, Zion and Slater on the left side is going to be awesome. <laughs> That's going to be a lot of fun to watch, man. And uh, Kellen Moore is going to have a ton of fun calling plays for those two in the rushing attack. So. All right, guys, uh, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks so much for tuning in. Again, thanks to Tom Telesco for uh, jumping on with us and joining us. Thanks to uh, Brian and Greg here for producing the, our show with the Chargers. Uh, and as always, uh, make sure you go subscribe over the Guilty as Charged podcast as well. Follow us on Twitter, all that good stuff. All right, guys, that's going to do it. We'll see you next week. Next week.